and welcome back in Wyoming Knuckleheads. This is another production of Go Be Wyo, and today Zach and I have some special guests here in the Sheridan community. We have Chief Coltiska, Travis Coltiska, and then Tom, what's your new position now? Tom Ringley? Captain. Captain, okay, t- of the Sheridan Police Department. Uh, Chief Coltiska and Captain uh, Ringley, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having, thanks us, for having us. Yeah, this is um, this has been in the works for a while. We, uh, we wanted to get you guys on um, kind of in the fall, but then... Uh, you know, everything gets busy and, uh, and we'll get into the kind of the, the hiring process of that search um, and we'll get into that. But um, first and foremost, just for anybody that doesn't know you guys, um, I do want to hear kind of your guys's history of getting into law enforcement, why you guys got into law enforcement, um, and then we'll get into the local stuff. So, uh, Tom. Okay. Um, thanks, Aaron. Uh, to make a very long story short, um, I come from a Sheridan family. My father Graduated Sheridan High School, I think, in 58. Career Air Force, moved around a lot. Um, I went to school all over the place. Ended up going to college in Alabama. And after that, I um, entered the United States Army. Um, once I was finishing up my my term in the Army, I was starting to um, think of what, what would match uh, my personality and my skills. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I knew I wanted to live in Sheridan. Not many people get to live where they used to take vacation during school and go on leave. Um, so it, it made sense for me to apply with the Sheridan Police Department. Um, and 21 years later, it's, it's been an absolute dream for me. Um, I would do everything all over again. That's awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Travis? Well, I born and raised here in Sheridan. I got a very large family. I grew up ranching east of town. <laughs> I knew it at a, a very young age that this was kind of my calling. I didn't there wasn't a specific event or anything that triggered it necessarily. It's just that uh, I was always drawn to the, to the idea of just providing something that very few people can give to society, that, that guardianship over society. So I uh, went to college, got my degree in criminal justice, and, and started my, my career with the Wheatland Police Department back in 1995. Okay. Um, at the time, I was interning at the police department where I went to college, and they suggested applying. I still had a semester left of school, so I applied. Um, didn't get the job immediately, but as soon as I graduated, I got a job offer. And when, in law, back then, in 95, it's a, it was a little different atmosphere for, for getting into law enforcement. It was much more competitive mm. than it is. Uh, I, I shouldn't say much more competitive. There seemed to be a, a lot more people involved. Same level of people that were getting into the business, but there were just a lot more of them. Yeah. So I took that opportunity, which provided me some, some great training, some great outreach across the state. I worked for the Division of Criminal Investigations for three years. But I always knew Sheridan was where I wanted to be. I always knew I wanted to come back, give back to the home that I grew up loving. And uh, uh, it was just, it was my goal. It was my, my career goal to be back here at this police department. So just almost, well, May 14th will be 20 years was my start date with the Sheridan Police Department, May 14th, 2001. Wow. And... Uh, the rest is kind of, I guess, history. So yeah. So, so you guys kind of, we'll kind of get into the, the chief search here, but you guys have pretty much been almost, uh, here in Sheridan, I should say about the same time. Well, not only that, we, um, got promoted to Sergeant on the same day and earned promotion to Lieutenant on the same day. So, oh, awesome. and we've also, um, participated in some changes that we worked on together. So we really have come up together and the only difference now is the right people are in the right spots. Um, and we're, we're both extremely pleased with the way things have turned out. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's, let's, uh, I think for everyone here locally, you know, kind of walk us through what you guys were experiencing through, um, you know, the chief position search. Um, I think sometimes, um, maybe there's some details left out, you know, in regards to like what's actually going on conversation wise and not that it's behind the scenes, but just, you know, just for anyone that's curious of like how that process actually went about because I think uh, Chief Adrian announced it uh, almost a year ago, right? That was, it was like in the spring or summer. Of- it was, it was the fall of last year. He announced okay. his retirement in uh, late July, ended up retiring in uh, late August, early September. Okay. So and- he announced in, in 19 then? Oh, it'd or- been 20. Okay. It would have been 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, from there, you know, they, with the new city admin, they, they decided to conduct a search nationwide. They used a company that's known across the, at least on the, the western half of the United States, uh, specifically for chiefs of police and for city administrators. Um, they just have a, a broad network. Uh, and when they did that, they, the process was um, submitting a, um, your resume as well as an application process and some, some different 
nuances within that program, within that application process. And then there was a review uh, to narrow it down because this um, job particularly, they had one of the highest interests uh, in administrators across the country for this chief's job. Okay. Well, um, you know, Prothman is, uh, like I said, their national company. They said this search was, had one of the most, uh, the highest turnout of candidates for this position oh, wow. that they've experienced. So there were 67 people originally put in for it. So they had to narrow it down from there. Uh, they did a um, internal review of all that, of the applications and resumes, narrowed it down to 18? Not this, 18. 18. Uh, at what point there was an interview with their um, uh, the main individual who was facilitating the entire search, and he narrowed it down to five from that point. Myself and, and Captain Ringley were the two, uh, two of the top five in that search. And that went to a community panel, Okay. which I think was a really neat idea. Is it brought in members from the community to um, ask questions and hear who each candidate was and, and ideas and uh, what things they're going to bring to the department or what they already have for the department gotcha. want to continue. Um, from that, there was also an, an interview with the city administrator, and then the selection was made at that point, or a recommendation for appointment by the city administrator. And that recommendation was presented to the mayor and city council on November 18th at a special session. Uh, he announced that I was selected. Uh, and, you know, Tom was right behind me in that process. It's, um, we were, from the start of this, we told each other, listen, you know, we're going to support each other through this whole process. I, I would have been just as happy if Tom would have gotten the job. Um, I was, you know, it was, it was kind of a dream come true. And, and I knew right away that, um, you know, this, we have a good team here at the police department. Tom and I work extremely well together. And we have great ideas that we want to put forth and, and we have a, a great cohesion that, that allows us to do that. So it was a, it was a blessing uh, when that happened, when we got that call. And one of the early, one of the first conversations I had after learning I was going to get the job was I want to make Tom a captain because that's with my vision and how the department's going to grow and progress. Tom's in that position is the person to help me do that. Yeah. Awesome. I think that cleared up a lot for me there, Zach. I didn't know that that was kind of the plan, you know, from the get go is we were going to use that third party um, didn't know there was almost 70, you know, 70 people interested in the job here. So, um, that speaks to the community and kind of the department. So that's huge. I mean, 70 people, that's a lot. It, it, it was an excellent process, even, um, from the standpoint that it, we were exposed to, um, the, the external, um, interviews, which gave us a lot of, um, food for thought. And also the, the three candidates, um, that were chosen, the three other candidates that were chosen that, that, um, participate in the local process were absolutely fantastic people. And they, they, um, had a wealth of knowledge that we, they shared a little bit, um, with us and some of the things, um, <clears throat> we're looking at, cause it never hurts to talk to people from other agencies. We don't have all the answers. Um, we're, we're somewhat isolated here. That's why uh, networking is extremely important. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, and that's, it's good to have leadership that, you know, admits that like, you know, we're not the, don't have all the answers to everything and um, kind of open to that idea. So um, that's good. Zach, do you have any questions on that? Yeah. So I was going to ask you then, you guys uh, have talked about some of the changes are progressing uh, going forward. What do you guys have planned or what are you looking at? You know, maybe what are your kind of priorities here? So one of my first priorities is to establish a community needs assessment and a community focus group. And essentially it's not to provide oversight necessarily for the organization, but to give us a broader vision and direction of what they, um, what they would like to see from the services that the police department provide. Um, you know, Sir Robert Peel, the father of modern policing, had these concepts in 1829 when he was the, uh, in London with the Metropolitan Police in London. And it's, we derive our authority and power from the people and from consent of the people. So it's important for us to really gauge the, the community and what their expectations and what we are doing great at, what we can improve upon, and what new things should we bring to the community from the police department standpoint. What can we do to just provide the best level of service and the, and the expectations that our community uh, um, exp has for us at this police department? Well, you know, we, we are a police department of our community. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, that's, that's one of my main priorities. One of my first priorities right there is to get that, identify that, that large group for the assessment and, and a smaller focus group. Awesome. Sure. And, and another thing that's really important that we're going through right now is um, promotions. Um, we are in the middle of promotional processes for um, uh, two lieutenants. Someone's got to probably not replace is probably the wrong word. <laughs> Come in and surpass us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. And um, we're 
um, have a sergeant that's just completed the promotion or a corporal that's just completed the promotional process for sergeant and also some empty corporal positions. And on top of that, the, the most extreme, the most important thing a chief of police does is, is hire, hire the right people. Mm -hmm. So that that's an ongoing process, but especially in the next two weeks, um, we should be able to make some announcements in regards to promotions. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. Awesome. Got to have some good leadership at all levels. Absolutely. And it's an arduous process in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, what the process that we put our, our candidates through for, to achieve a rank level, promotional level <clears throat> position within our organization. Um, it's, it's pretty arduous and, and it, it really helps define the type of character that we're looking for to, to continue the leadership within the department. Awesome. Would you say you two have a pretty good um, relationship and what you guys are looking for since you guys have, you know, pretty much done every step of the way? Um, you know, has that been helpful? And, um, I, you know, one question I wanted to ask too, what were some changes that you guys have gone through um, that you see um, that have been helpful, you know, and something that you look at as, as a police chief too? In, in what respect exactly? Uh, just just uh, maybe something that maybe the community doesn't know or isn't aware of that um, maybe had a lot of pushback, you know, and, and I mean, it could be anything, just you may, the hiring process or training I, I, of our officers or. If, if, if I could speak, um, I think one thing that and we've touched on it a lot in our media appearances um, and in, in discussions is that we're really hiring and promoting character. Um, mm. When we interview people at, at all levels, we're not asking technical law enforcement questions. We're looking for specific character traits because um, we, we can, I can do it. Anyone can be trained to be a police officer. I'm living proof of that, but that comes later. But the char character is, is inside and we, we, we want to hire the right people um, that we think are the right fit, not just for us, but mainly for the community. We mm -hmm. want people that want to engage in the community, get out and get to know people and not um, fulfill some self-image of, of themselves that, that isn't needed here in Sheridan. Um, I, and I can honestly say that the people we've hired are doing the job for the right reason. Um, you know, it's not ego. Uh, e if you've got an ego, check yourself at the door. We don't want you in our building. Mm -hmm. That's not what it's about. It's about service mindset and being out there and doing this job for the right reasons to go out there and provide a level of service to our community that's the top of the nation. And, and we don't want that person that comes in and says, I want to be a police officer because, uh, you know, I want all the, the bravado things that come along with it. That's not what we're about at all. And I think that's important for the community to understand is that we will not hire people that, that exhibit that. Mm -hmm. and, and we are of the same philosophy and all, it, it's all the way down to, the, to uh, the newest hire at our police department. We instill in that instilling them early that mindset and that, that philosophy. And they know, and they feel the same way that we would rather pass on somebody who maybe all outward appearances that they have good skills to be a police officer. They, they, they look like they could do the job effectively, but if they don't have it in their heart and in their mind that it's a service, they're not a police officer for this department. Awesome. Yeah. Talking about you guys are, what you guys are talking about, what Zach, I think can, uh, piggyback onto is like purpose, you know, why, and then fitting into the culture here, mm -hmm. um, rather than, you know, checking all the technical boxes. Um, I love that. Zach, do you have, yeah. I mean, that's. No, that's great. Cause one of the questions we were, we wanted to ask you about was just recruitment. And do you see a lot of people who want to be police officers? I mean, we, I, that was surprising to all of us to learn that there was such a broad, uh, there were a lot of people who wanted to be chief of police here. Um, so do you see a similar thing for, entry level. Uh, I think we're starting to, we're starting to be on an uptick. We're doing some innovative things for recruiting some different platforms to recruit and try to get our message out some more about who we are, because we want to draw the like-minded individuals. So when we get our message out, we're saying, here's what we're about. If you're not about the same thing, don't bother applying with us. Sure. Um, so we really try to, to, to put that on right at the forefront and saying, here's who we are as an organization. So we're starting to see an uptick in applications and, and some interest. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on nationally in, pol in policing, um, there are, uh, people that are fleeing some of the other areas, so to speak, I guess, for lack of a better term, fleeing or, or wanting maybe just to even slow down and get, a, get more of a lifestyle that we have the luxury of living here. Mm -hmm. Um, we are in currently in backgrounds with an officer from Nashville, from Nashville police department's work there. And, um, you know, he's a small town guy that grew up in a small town and, and went to work in a big city. And he's like, I miss the small town atmosphere. I miss that mentality, that mindset. And, and, and he's been out here and, and fell in love with the community. And that's what it was about. A lot of our people that come here, the newer hires that aren't from Sheridan, it's like, we love your community. 
that's how that's where that conversation starts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we're starting to see that, and we're seeing some more of that, uh, some more interest. And I think it's just going to be a uh, um, continued growth as the as the town grows. Obviously, our needs are going to grow, and our uh, the, the amount of service we provide is going to grow. So I think we're going to continue to see um, people that are interested in law enforcement in a different in a, in a different different atmosphere, more like what we have here. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I want to go on that thread, and I think Zach does too. On you, you know, you guys have served for over 20 years, you know, I don't want to make you guys feel old, but Zach That's and I okay, are. We <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some things that, you know, maybe it's, it is, it's a blessing that here in Sheridan, we're always kind of behind the times, you know, you kind of mentioned on people fleeing the cities and, um, you know, I don't want us to go off on a whole national thing, but what are, what are some things you guys have seen that Sheridan, um, has done differently, maybe from maybe talking to colleagues that in bigger cities, um, I'm not sure Sheridan is behind the times. Um, and I, and I say that is because Wyoming in general, and I can definitely speak from my observations is Sheridan is people make, um, case by case decisions when, when, when people, when we form an opinion on a topic here in Sheridan, we evaluate the facts and we just don't align ourselves with one side or the other. Now there are some big, big issues like second amendment stuff, but in general, especially with in, in policing, um, people get the facts and then make their decisions. And, and I, and I think that's why Sheridan's ahead of a, a lot of other places. We just don't, um, see one, see what we want to see in, 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 a, in an issue and, and make the decision we want to make, um, also known as confirmation bias. Um, and we try to reflect that as a department, we were a reflection of our community and, and we were very, uh, prudent in the, our decision-making process and we're just not going to rush to failure. And, and I think Sharon's always been a, as a community has always been a little bit ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. Things and technology and other, everybody always says Sharon's, you know, 20 years behind the rest of the country. Um, but no, it's not. And I can tell you just from my experience going to the national Academy in Quantico, Virginia with 220 law enforcement executives from around the world, our department is very progressive and very ahead of the times. A lot of the programs that we've implemented and have had in place for years, other places are just catching on to. Mm. Uh, and we're, again, this is worldwide. And yeah. so, yeah, Sheridan itself is, is a place that is, um, it's just a little more laid back and reserved and has the, the mindset is I'm not going to, I'm not going to rush to judgment. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to, to, be the person that, that, that I think they should be, that I want them to be and, and make any judgment based on that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is that, so would you say your community outreach idea is that, is that progressive, I guess, across the nation or is that, um, well, unfortunately sometimes it's mandated when, a, when oh. a, some agencies have, <laughs> have uh, civilian oversight groups that are mandated because they've gone under consent, consent decrees with the department of justice. Um, not many agencies had talked about the same thing, having specific focus groups. There are some across the country, but not a lot of from my colleagues from around the country have done this, but it's just an, it's an outreach idea that, that I had that I want to uh, implement very soon. And I, of course, COVID put a wrinkle on that. I would have got the process started a lot sooner. We're sure. just now coming out of mask mandates and it's, it's an in-person thing. I don't want to do this over zoom or uh, um, um, another platform. Right. I want it to be personal and in-person and, be able to do that. So now that people are feeling more comfortable and our vaccination rates are going up, that they're more comfortable to meet. Um, I've got a facilitator lined out to, to get this process started. Awesome. So, yeah. so it's, uh, would you, would you be, would it be fair to say that this is a proactive approach? You kind of mentioned that some kind of get mandated to do it because of stuff that happened in their past. Yeah. Yep. I want to get on the forefront of it. <laughs> yeah. Get, get on, on the front edge. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Um, Zach, do you have anything else? And um, so I, we, and you guys don't have to answer this question. It's probably maybe a little bit loaded, but uh, Aaron and I were just talking last night. We saw something. Montana just signed a bill um, about the Second Amendment. Uh, and I think Governor Gianforte has told uh, law enforcement agencies in the state to not uh, enforce the, any federal uh, uh, you know, legislation that comes through restricting the Second Amendment. I think even going back to January. Um, I know there was a similar bill in the Wyoming legislature this past month, and I don't think it passed. Um, but just what, what, where do you guys kind of fall on that as, uh, you know, the leaders of the Sheridan Police Department? Well, I can tell you without looking at what the language in Montana's bill, I can tell you that with the language in the draft bill from the Wyoming legislature, um, I'll give you a hypothetical. 
if an, a federal agency like the FBI contacted us and said, we are investigating a, this individual for child pornography, okay. not non-gun related crime, mm-hmm. will you help us? Obviously, we're going to. Our, our federal partners are very important. We're going to we're going to help. During the course of that investigation, if we were to go and there were a firearm there and he was federally prohibited from possessing firearms, and if that gun would have been seized, the language in the draft SAPA bill from Wyoming would have criminally penalized the officers that were assisting that federal investigation. Oh, would interesting. Stripped, stripped qualified immunity, which means they could have been sued for up to $50,000 of personal cost, and they would not be eligible to ever work in law enforcement in the state of Wyoming again. Wow. Based on a child pornography case. Wow, okay. And, or a drug case. It should have been sure. a drug case. And, and, and two real examples. Um, within the last five years, we've worked with ATF to get two of our largest methamphetamine dealers out of town. And the way we could do it was on gun charges. Um, they, they'd been prohibited from having firearms. These were bad people. One was a gang member from California. If everybody remember, remembers the bulldogs that were running around here. It helped us shut them down. And the other one was just as bad um, because we couldn't find them with the drugs on them, um, but they had been prohibited. We got them out of here to go face mandatory minimums. Now, and I know mandatory minimums can be sensitive, but in regards to people that are clear dangers to the community, they're, they're uh, the, uh, the feds, the ATF specifically, and the FBI have been fantastic partners with us. Another example would be the county attorney's office fire that the chief Qualtiska investigated. Um, yeah, there were federal we, explosive charges on that. That's what got him put away mm. for uh, for lighting the county attorney's office on fire. Yeah. Huh. I, I would be I would not be qualified to work in the state of Wyoming. Wow, had that log on into effect. Okay. So the language was poor in that bill, and the and the language needed adjusted. That bill did yeah. pass with some amendments. Um, the state of Wyoming is a strong, I'm a strong Second Amendment supporter, uh, very strong uh, Second Amendment supporter. And so there is language in the state, con- in the state constitution um, and in that bill that, that you know, allows for us to maintain our Second Amendment rights in the state of Wyoming. And I'm a big, big proponent of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, I think that clears that up because I think you and I were talking about that of, you know, what's, you know, those are great examples because there's, there, uh, we always have to consider that most of the time, <laughs> Uh, these people we're going after are not law-abiding citizens. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so if you're not doing any of those things, you're probably okay. So, yeah. well, and it's easy for people in Wyoming and Second Amendment advocates to, you know, start cheering that on, but then to take a real look at that and how that would affect the people that we, you know, yeah. really um, respect. Yeah, that, often, and that information was never given out there, that, that I, kind I, of stuff. I, I think, and I won't get, give too much of my opinion on this, but one must question the motives of some of the people pushing these bills sure. and, 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 yeah. and, and what, um, stake they have in it moving forward. Um, but I was specifically speaking for Sheridan PD is a, we don't have room for all these guns. Everybody thinks we're going to take, um, and B we're not coming to take them. No, um, we're not, we, we are very selective about when we do, um, request a partnership from federal agencies and it's always for the good of the community. Yeah. Like we've been talking about. So that's wonderful. Um, yeah. No, that was a great question, Zach. Um, and that was a great explanation by both of you there and, and giving real life examples of, I think everyone's going to remember, um, hopefully for a while. Um, and speaking about community, um, we do want to ask you guys, you know, we missed last year's Sheridan Wild Rodeo, um, you know, from gro- both of you kind of growing up here. So what, you know, is there anything that uh, Sheridan residents should expect different from the PD or what are some, maybe some goals for you that um, it's always, you know, to be honest, me being in my late twenties. So I've had, you know, that 21 on, um, it's always been a great event. It hasn't been, um, I don't really remember it being, um, as some would say, like a rowdy, a rowdy thing, (laughs) you know, getting in trouble or anything like that. Um, but, um, what are, what are kind of your goals and expectations for this year's rodeo? Well, first and foremost, our number one goal is community safety during the event, because that is a large volume of people getting together, consuming, and intoxicating substance, and so there's always potential. We have had very um, critical instances that have occurred during that time frame uh, for ver- variety of reasons. And there's always, you know, um, some minor uh, fights here and there that go on as well. But um, safety is our number one priority, and and also making sure that this is, you know, I think people are very ready to to get back to the rodeo. Um, they opened up ticket sales at the Wild Theater the other morning. 
And they said, they said the line was around the block. We saw somebody was involved in the ticket sales and they went on solid. People camped out there at 5.30 in the morning waiting for the box, was, <laughs> box office wow. to open at 8 um, just so they could get rodeo tickets. So I think it's going to be a well-attended event. We're working with, um, at, like we always do, work, working with uh, liquor dealers downtown and with Sean Parker with Travel and Tourism. We had some thoughts that we thought we could kind of, you know, see if anybody was interested in making it more of a street festival fair type deal, type uh, environment. Um, so we're, we're working with some different entities. There are going to be some activities at night, and, and we're going to see about getting some more activities during the day for the, the families to come enjoy during oh, cool. the daytime downtown, shop the businesses, eat, enjoy some, some music and some drink, and, and try to just make it a, a more well-rounded. Uh, the rodeo, the street dance, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't get really going until about 11, and you got to shut down at 2, so people are down there... Unfortunately, just drinking as fast as they can, yep. um, which has a lot of health issues in addition to the other things that can go along with it. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to freshen it up a little bit and working with some different entities. And we've gotten some very positive responses and feedback cool. on the on the concepts and on the ideas. But safety is our number one priority. That is our responsibility when it comes to all these events is to say, okay, you want to do this event. Here's your permit that you put in. Here's our suggestions on how you can make it safer for everybody. Here's the safety protocols you can put into place to ensure that, or to mitigate minors attempting to purchase alcohol, to mitigate too much congestion that's going to cause tempers to flare and cause potentially a fight. Sure. Here's the things you can put in place to make sure that people get a ride home. And, and so those, that's, that's our number one yeah. priority for that. Awesome. Would you, would you say due to COVID that maybe some of these new ideas have popped up that, you know, it sounds like we're trying to make it maybe a little more, Family friendly. I mean, during the day. Right. <laughs> We've been talking about it for years. Um, but I, I think um, last year gave us a, a, an opportunity to, to, to pause and really think about what it, what would be in the best interest for the community. Um, and also to include the entire community, not just have it located the, the uh, three tail license, retail liquor license holders downtown. But I, I know um, events are popping up. Um, Midland Market, I, I know, has... Um, events planned for, for Verdi a week. And we'd encourage everyone to, you know, get in and get involved and make it more um, widespread and give the entire uh, community exposure to the, to the guests that are coming from out of town instead of just, just um, main street, right? The street dance is always going to happen and we fully support it. Um, but we think there's more to offer than just the street dance. Totally. No, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this summer is going to be uh, extremely busy for the entire community. Yep. Uh, and we're gearing up for it, and we're, we're making preparations for that as well. But it's yeah. going to be a very busy yeah. summer. Yeah, it'll be good, though. Safe and, and fun. and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the number one goal, yep. safety. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Zach, do you have anything else? And I'll ask this last question. Here. I don't have any more. Okay. Because um, I know you guys have a busy day. Well, it's, we, got, it's, we got some time. Well, and we'll uh, <laughs> if there's something else you guys want to talk about, let us know. Um one question, we kind of already touched on it, and but I do want you guys to kind of maybe go in more in depth here. But, you know, if someone is listening that knows somebody in law enforcement or wants to get, I think maybe we should ask that, you know, if someone's interested in getting into law enforcement, what are what are some advice that you guys would give to a young person thinking about a career, especially with, you know, we kind of touched on it. You know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, you know, honestly, a negative, a negative opinion of law enforcement in some areas. Um, you guys have been in it almost, um, you know, 30 plus years then I would say, or 20, I mean, at least 20 plus years. So what are kind of your guys's kind of advice or, um, things that have been, um, rewarding? You know, I, I think for me, and, and I tell this story a lot when people ask why I got into law enforcement and it's actually a situation that occurred to me after I'd been working about four and a half years, I was working for DCI at the time, um, doing drug and major crime investigations. And I was on my way from Wheatland to Cheyenne and just saw a car in the median with a young kid around it, 15, 16, 17 years old. And I called it into Highway Patrol. Um, it looked like he'd stranded. And if you've ever been between Cheyenne and Wheatland, there's a lot of, a lot of open space up there. Mm -hmm. And their dispatch center told me that they were busy. The troopers were busy and asked if I could check on it. So I did. And as I got up to it, I called the license plate out and it would come back as a runaway. So I just started talking to this young kid. He was, he was 16 years old, resident of Cheyenne, and he'd run away and apparently run out of gas. He didn't get very far. Um, he was about 35 miles north of Cheyenne. So I just said, hey, you need to ride back to Cheyenne? He's like, yeah, sure. And I didn't tell him who I was. I was in plain clothes, not a uniform position, unmarked car. And so I took him uh, um, 
got him in my car and we started driving back. And I just started having that little uh, big brother, I guess, speech more than anything about when I told him, I said, you're not where you're supposed to be, are you? And just started having a conversation. And he was just talking about the problems. And I was talking about, well, I bet your parents are sick, death worried about you. And, and we had a conversation, a really good conversation the whole way back to Cheyenne. And when we got there, we followed him, went to his house, and there was a Cheyenne police car waiting for me, and his mother was standing in the doorway. And when I, we got out of the car and we walked up there, and he went inside, and she gave him a hug. And then she turned to me, and she gave me a hug, and kissed on the cheek, and she grabbed my hand, my head, and she's like, you are my guardian angel. I will never forget your face. I can still picture her vividly. Right then and there, it solidified everything I knew about this profession is that opportunity to positively affect a person's life. Um, you don't get opportunities like that in a lot of other professions. Now, unfortunately, it also comes with the opportunity to negatively affect people's lives. And you really have to find purpose, just like you said earlier. What is my purpose? I want to positively affect people's lives. Unfortunately, sometimes the circumstances, not by my own, but maybe by the individual's circumstances or situation, dictates what kind of experience they have with us. Mm -hmm. But we also have that potential to, to, to influence that. Yep. And to be able to, to, to make that difference and, and to give that relief to a parent who was, had no idea where her son was at, just didn't have a clue and was worried to death. You know, it really, it's, it didn't change it. It didn't put it, it solidified it right then and there. And I knew that that was going to be what I was going to do for the rest of my career working I was going to continue to work in this profession as long as they'll have me in it, as long as I can keep doing it. And so for my advice to a young person is really know that, know what your purpose is. Know what your purpose is and, and live your life according to that purpose. Because you have plenty of opportunities in life to provide service to the community. And doing that early on and saying, I'm thinking about it and I want to get involved in other ways, through, whether it's through programs such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or different programs that allow a person to give back. You know, if you have those opportunities and you just don't know if law enforcement and you're still thinking about it, then I would suggest getting involved some way like that. And when you do know and you say, yes, that's what I want to do, make sure that that purpose, that you've lived that purpose, your life. Um, that's that's going to be a key because you're going to get that satisfaction. And you're going to have times in this career, I think everybody has it. They call it the seven-year hump. And if you can get past seven years, you kind of, we see a lot of very traumatic things in our careers. We've seen horrible things, horrific and you get, sometimes people can kind of get, um, they can kind of look down on, you can kind of lose being a fan of people, but the, it just takes one little thing to, to really bring that back to light. And once you get over that little hump and, and the rest is home sailing, because you're doing it for the right reason. You know every day you go home, I made a difference. That's awesome. And if I could make two quick points, you know, we stress character a lot. Um, yep. But it's important that everybody knows our officers are extremely well-trained um, on a wide range of topics, ranging from interacting with the mentally ill to responding to an active shooter. So we, we're just not hiring patsies. We're hiring people that have part of the character is having that drive to become competent and respond well to training. And the second point I'd like to make is we have an outstanding relationship with the community. And it's something that it is probably something our department as an entity treasures the most, but we do realize it takes, it can take one stupid incident um, to ruin that. And um, everything we do is, you know, part of our mission statement is to enhance the quality, quality of life in a community through relevant training. Um, so we, we, we often feel guilty. The worst things get for law enforcement nationwide. The, for lack of a better term, the better it gets here. I finally had to, um, every time we go to Bison Union for coffee, it's like we can't take, and we don't want to take gratuities. I finally put money on a gift card for officers. Just so there, we're buying, we're, we're buying your coffee. But it's just a reflection of the community. Um, yeah. It's Sometimes we feel kind of bad about it because we see what a, uh, beating law enforcement takes in the media a little bit of it's deserved most of it's not um but for anyone thinking of coming here i i can't imagine a better place to uh, be a police officer um than here we part of our the talks that chief Coltis and i have between us is how can we make this a great place to work so that the right people want to come here um you know sheridan's fantastic it's beautiful but if you have to drag yourself in somewhere for eight to 12 hours a day, it's probably 
not, not, not a great fit. Um, so we're not hard to find online. Um, go to the city of Sheridan uh, website and put in an application or come to a ride along with this. Um, we give almost anyone a ride along as long as you're not a convicted violent felon. Um, <laughs> and even if you're not interested in applying with us, but you just want to know what we're about, you're part of the communities, call me and we'll hook it up. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think I want to mention, I, I would imagine the character you guys are speaking of. I mean, for you, Chief Koltiska, that's pro like, that's what you're looking for. Is that, is that purpose? What's, what's your why and what's your purpose? Um, you know, the NFL drafts coming up, I feel like that's, you know, uh, teams always, um, they look for the technical boxes, but I wonder, you know, um, they look for fit too. You got to think yep, about that too. Yep, exactly. Every place has got to have a fit and don't get me wrong. If somebody comes and they are very, um, technically, um, well-rounded in this law enforcement, I mean, in law enforcement in general. Yeah. I mean, that gives them a little, Absolutely. I don't say an advantage, but it, you know, you, you identify that and, and it makes it very nice <clears throat> to bring that person that has the aptitude in on the technical side, but it's all about character. I, we can teach anybody to be a police officer. It's all about, are they going to be a fit for this department more? So are they going to be a fit for this community? Mm -hmm. Are they going to want to do the things and be involved in the community? We encourage that is get involved, do what you can. Um, yeah, we, we spend half of our life in law enforcement, at least at our shift, 12 hour shifts. You work half the year, half of your life is out in service to the community. And so you want to be that if you're not the right fit for it and that's not what you want to do, this is not the job for you and this is not the department for you. Right. And so that's, yeah, character is paramount. Character is what makes an off, makes a person do the right thing at the right time. That's awesome. Yeah. Zach, do you have any other, um, I'm trying to think of some other questions since yeah. we've got some extra time with that. You know, we can go over the process of hiring if you'd like too. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of actually, hiring process. Yeah. What's that kind of like for all the positions you guys have open right now? Well, so we'll just start with uh, entry level hiring. Okay. So when a person's interested, they fill out a short application. It used to be, that's one thing we've changed. It used to be pretty daunting. It was a 34 page application oh. and personal history statement. Um, we didn't need all of that information at the initial hiring. So we pared that down to the, the stuff we absolutely need um, at the initial review. So we'll review the application and, and if you're, everything on your application, um, is up, uh, up to speed and looks like it's appropriate. You don't have any automatic disqualifiers, then, um, you'll get invited to testing. The first part of that process is a writ is a physical test, excuse me, which is a one minute push up, one minute sit up and a mile and a half run. And those are uh, set with Cooper standards. And we tell everybody, these are, this is the only questions you know the answer to before you come. Yep. And so prepare yourself because you will have to do push-ups, you will have to do sit-ups, and you will have to run. And I am by no means a runner at all. I've never have been. There's my runner right there. Uh, but <laughs> I could, when I knew I wanted to test up here and I knew I had to do that, I worked out really hard on with my running so I could pass that run. If you pass all those according to the, what they call the Cooper standards, which is the same standards for entry level into the Wyoming Law Enforcement Academy, then you'll do a written test that is composed of two parts. They call it a cognitive and a behavioral. So the cognitive is just general knowledge, information. And then the behavioral is your tendencies. Um, where, how does a, what does a person feel? How do they think about um, situations? It's, it, I don't understand the psychologist could probably break down what those, what those tests are much better than I could, but it's kind of, your tendencies are you going to, do you have an aptitude towards being a criminal? Do you have an aptitude towards, uh, uh lack of integrity? Uh, do you, what are, you know, I, I know one question I've heard on there is like, it's, it's always, or it's okay to steal from an employer and it's got never, sometimes no opinion, strongly agree or, or, you know, that kind of, right. That kind of test. Anybody's ever taken a behavioral test will kind of get the general concept. You, you, you pass both of those, then you move to an oral board An oral board consists of, Captain Ringley and two of our lieutenant, well, sergeants or lieutenants within the department. And that's when we break down a series of questions that pertain, you know, we ask specific questions that we have created and modified through the years to try to identify those character traits and how a person's going to respond based on character, not necessarily on what. It has nothing to do with police procedure. We don't say anything about you respond to X, what do you do? It's all about, tell us about a time when you were encountering this kind of situation or you were encountering something that, you know, caused you to make a, a decision or solve a problem. How did you do that? And so we identify that. At that point, we move to a very lengthy and very comprehensive background. If you pass the oral board 
and we are a civil service organization, so everything we have to be 75% proficient. So all those scores written uh, and, and the oral board have to be at 75% measured um, on a 100-point scale. The background takes a long time. Um, we will dig into every little recess of everywhere you've been. We, I haven't talked to an elementary school librarian to see if your books were overdue or not, or if you ever got but it, it's pretty arduous. We, we, yeah. we do our due diligence to make sure that we're not, that not only the character traits that you exhibit during an oral board stood out, but that you have not, or that any of the, the things you've demonstrated over your career or over your time also falls into line with, with what's acceptable and what's not in our line of work. At that point, if you pass the background, you're offered, you're given a conditional offer employment, employment. Uh, you do a medical examination, which is essentially like a sports physical, um, unless you're hiring for communications and then you have to do a, a hearing test as well, because they got to be able to hear to answer 911. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a psychological examination with a, um, a psychologist that specializes in law enforcement, um, testing. Um, they, there's some different tests and interview that go along with that and a polygraph examination. You complete all of those, we start talking about a start date. Awesome. And then we bring you in, and I'll let Tom, and then, you know, what's really, I think, what people don't understand, too, and what's the hardest, well, there's a lot of jobs when you get hired, you're plug and play. You jump in there and you start doing the job, and you're filling a void immediately. It's not like that in law enforcement. Somebody with zero experience from the first day they test to when they are fully functioning as a police officer can go anywhere from 8 to 11 months. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll let Tom talk on that. There's our first month is we, our new officers don't even wear uniforms. They, um, they actually work in our communication center and learn how to take calls. Um, the benefits of that are twofold is it, in, when we get really busy, they can at least answer the phone in dispatch, but also it, it teaches, um, our records management system. We document everything. Um, and then after those four weeks, there's a, a, a 14 week field training officer program where you're just like on one of the few things on TV that's true um, is there, there are field training officers where you ride with a senior officer and you are being taught the technical aspects of the job. In addition to that, there's a 14 week peace officers basic, which takes place at the Wyoming law enforcement Academy in Douglas um, where you're, you're taught a, a lot of the book work. Um, this is, these are the statutes. This is generally how to do a building search. This is, generally how to do a traffic stop. They all defer to how the home agencies do things. Um, and it depends on when the academy falls and when one is hired as to where you go. Ideally, we like to see, there are uh, three teaching phases in FTO. We'd like to see people go to the academy after um, the second phase. Um, I went straight away and a lot of it, I didn't know what they were talking about, um, especially in the, the practical hands-on stuff, but still. It's a fantastic process, regardless of um, what you do and when. Um, and then after, after um, you've completed field training and the academy, there's going to be a day when you're in a car by yourself thinking, oh, shoot, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> I remember vividly, of course, my first call was a dog call. I couldn't find a dog. Um, and even with all that, our officers are on probation for 12 months. And if for any reason that... We determine that someone's not a good fit. Um, we have the option of extending the probation or releasing them from service. Um, we haven't released anyone from service um, due to a failure to clear probation, but it's it's part of civil service. And it's also, in the long run, it's, it can sound harsh, but it safeguards the community from getting the wrong people out on the street. Yeah. So that's a total of, I mean, that's, I mean, 28 that's, weeks right there. Plus your, our four initial, that's 32 weeks without any interruptions, without mm -hmm. any hiccups. That's not counting the, the two weeks of firearms training, oh, yeah. two weeks or a week of custody and control. Um, Less lethal, taser, wow. OC. Yep. It, and it's a process, but it, it, for, for me, it flew by and it's, it's a very well thought out process. It's based on a national standard called the San Jose model. Um, every, everything's done for a reason and everything's documented. So it, it really sets the, the new officer um, up for success. It's, it's not designed to weed people out. Um, that's what the background's for. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a teaching model and it's designed to uh, pr produce the, the best officers that completely understand not only the, the technical aspects of the job, but also 
they know expectations that we have on them and that the community has on us. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that was very informative. I didn't know that. That's yeah. It's, it's arduous. I mean, it takes a while mm-hmm. for it to go through. And so you've had, if you had that training um, component, yeah, it's at least 11 months from the, the moment they get, we interview through the background, the background's taken anywhere from two to four weeks. Yep. Um, that's if yeah. everything goes smooth and we get all the documentation back that we need. That's usually what the whole, the, yeah. the longest delay is getting a hold of personal references to get them to respond to us or getting any of the paperwork that we're required to have to hire. Dude, it, it, it takes a long time. Two big things sense. on backgrounds. First of all, put, set your personal beliefs aside. Marijuana is still illegal federally. Um, we won't look at anyone that's used marijuana within the previous 24 months. But the bigger thing about backgrounds is we understand life happens and we want people to have life experience. What, uh, what often gets in people's way is what they don't tell us. Mm. Um, not what they do tell us. People have told us a lot and <laughs> it's been fine. That, that, that was some time ago and we understand. Um, but if, if, if we have to dig or we're learning stuff and that people haven't told us that should be remembered, then we take it as a sign of dishonesty and that also that they wouldn't be a good fit for us. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah totally. Yeah. yeah. And we give them every opportunity in the world to say, tell us everything. Are you telling us everything? Tons of opportunities. We, and we tell them again, almost exactly like that. It's not what you did. It's what you didn't tell us. Mm-hmm. You know, barring obviously, you, you know, there's very serious offenses that yeah. if they, <laughs> they tell us that they committed, then obviously that's not mag disqualifier, even if they're being honest about committing those violations a long time ago. Right. So, yeah. but it's, that's what gets a lot of them in trouble is that exact thing is, is we find stuff out that they never disclosed. Yep. And that failure disclosure will, will automatically result in you being removed from consideration for this, this line of work. Cause that integrity issue, that integrity side of it is non-comparable. Well, as Tom said, it, it takes one, takes one mistake. In and a then, split second. Yep. So yeah, yeah, no, well that, that was good to know. That was, um, you know, so anyone out there, your purpose better be on point. Cause it's going to be 11 <laughs> months until you're <laughs> in, in, in your car by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> our process is good though. I mean, our FTOs are very good trainers. They understand. And, and you t- everybody we talk to is going through the FTO. They've, it's enjoyable. And sometimes when it's night shift and it's two o'clock in the morning, it's nice to have somebody sitting in the car next to you to have a conversation <laughs> with oh, instead sure. of driving and getting a little bleary eyed if it is getting a little, if there's nothing happening, you know? Um, so it's, it's nice to have that once in a while to have somebody sitting in the car talking to, uh, it's a good process and you're, you're with somebody the whole time. You're learning the whole time and it, you're getting paid the whole time. So yep, that's right. Full salary, <laughs> so it's not like you're donating that time. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. I hope a lot of people listen to this yeah. and, and hear that, you know, I don't think people really, un, you know, people call for reform in, in social justice or not just the justice department, you know? And so I think, uh, having an inside look like this really sees there's a, a year process of grooming and, and trying to get you up to our standards after the whole process of, do you fit with our values? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's really cool. And that's probably just, that's entry level. I would imagine, you know, you guys mentioned their sergeants and lieutenant positions. I mean, there's probably more, um, training or, you know, educational things that they need to go through for those, I would imagine. Absolutely. There's a lot of leadership training. We provide our, um, our command staff with a lot of leadership opportunities. Um, I've been to the national Academy, Tom and several of our, um, current sergeants have been to Northwest school. You're going to have to do it. Northwestern Police. School of Police, Police Command Staff. Yeah. Okay. Which is, Staff and those, are, those are the two, the two most um, highly regarded law enforcement executive trainings in the country. And we've got many people from both those, those entities that have attended those trainings. Um, in addition to that, the state of Wyoming and the academy offers a lot of good leadership training um, at, the, uh, at the local level, at a, at a smaller level. So our corporals and our sergeants get those opportunities. And, and if you're, our officers are interested in, interested in promoting will attend a class called preparing for Leader- leadership um, upon promotion to corporal they'll go, they'll go to first line supervision there's mid-level management training as you as you as you elevate you get higher levels of leadership training through all that through all that progression so that's we always make that available because you know our leaders are uh, are, are vital to the success of our organization mm-hmm. every, every position down there is vital um, but having that leadership in place that can model and exhibit and demonstrate and teach and coach that behavior and and identify it when it's somebody doesn't meet the the standard, that's critical to success. Yep. Well, in, in talking of, you know, 
fitting with the community. I know Zach and I felt very uh, comfortable that, you know, when it got weeded down, it was still some local guys in the search. And I think, you know, the community felt that as well. Cause you know, as you just mentioned, it's leadership, you get to teach everyone below you. And so, um, not to say that the other people weren't qualified, but, and you know, as I know as a community member, we felt like, okay, well, you know, at least we've got Travis and Tom up there. They've been here 20 years, you know, at least, you know, there's that. So anyways, I can see how as a community too, that's, um, very important for us to know as well, yeah. that that leadership keeps going and going and going. That was almost exclusively the feedback I got, um, both during the process and after is, but during the process is like, they better pick you or Tom. <laughs> you know, that was one, <laughs> a lot of that. If they don't, you know, some, I'm not going to mention any names, yep, but right. <laughs> they better pick one of you two or else there's going to be. Yeah, and hell to pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll also take advantage of, um, to mix our leadership training specifically, um, some of our guys have um, participated in uh, Center for Vital Community. Um, I was lucky enough to do that and a couple other guys. Leadership Sheridan County is another yep. great way that we get our guys out mingling and interacting with other community leaders. So if there's anything local, um, any local leadership programs anyone's running, please let us know. We're more than happy to send people. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that outreach within the community is just very important to us and, and making sure that not only do we know the community, but the community know us. And that's exactly. a great opportunity to do that, you know, civic and leadership shared in County. And those are great programs that we, we relish having those groups come and learn from us. I spoke before, um, it was leadership shared in County just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So now we've, we've gotten great feedback from the community on, on the selection of, and, and of us with the, in the positions we're in and, we're going to, we're going to continue to take this department to the next level and just continue making sure that this community knows that, you know, our police department is shared and we're going to be here for them. Um, we may make a mistake here and there. We'll own it and we'll fix it. And, and, but know that our purpose and everybody that works down there, their purpose is pure. Every one of them, I'll vouch for every person in that building is that they're here to, to be the, the police department that this community deserves. Wonderful. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to end there, Zach. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Chief Kultiska, Captain Ringley, thanks for stopping by. We'll, uh, Thank you. Um, if you guys ever want to come back on the show, if there's anything ever, um, you know, legislation-wise, you know, I think that was very well, you know, that was something we didn't know, yep. um, you know, or just something locally, you know, always feel free to reach, you know, Tom's got my contact info or something like that. But uh, we really appreciate your guys' service. We can't wait to see uh this new leadership, you know, I, I think uh, it goes on the wayside because nothing was really happening last summer. <laughs> so nothing was really happening. But now you guys uh, will have your hands full with a, a really rocking 2021 summer. So but uh, thank you guys for your time again. And thank that, you. That thank was you both. Chief yeah, Coltiska and Captain Ringley of the Sheridan Police Department.